Well, thank you for that nice introduction, and it's nice to see all your faces, and um, I'm glad to be here this morning. So I wanted to uh, just um, begin with uh, the first verse in Psalm 111, which was written by King David, and it says, now this is where my eyes are bad here, praise the Lord, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. So this morning, I'm standing here hoping to uh, bring praise and glory to him and extol him in the company of the upright in this assembly. So uh, I just wanted to open us in prayer. Lord, I just pray that I would succeed in that, that I would bring glory to your name, that uh, these women who are gathered here who know you, and some may not know you, Lord, would, would realize how wonderful you are and that they would proclaim along with me the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, so King David had some tough times in his life, and he had some wonderful blessings in his life too, but he had kind of a complicated life and story. But he was a musician, so I was you know, thinking about him as we listened to our wonderful musicians, that he had a gift for music too, and he liked to write songs, and he would play the lyre, which is a stringed instrument, and I guess he was pretty good at both. Well, we know he was good at, I assume he was good at the lyre, um, playing the lyre, not being a lyre. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, although he did do that. Um, but, um, you know, that's why I like King David, though, because you can relate to him. He's a man with great successes in his walk with, with the Lord, but also a man with some great failures. And uh, But the, the thing about him, which made him so... Um, special to God, and God called him, you know, the apple of his eye, is because when David um, uh, failed miserably and sinned terribly, I mean, he even, he even had a man killed, basically, so he could, um, you know, sleep with the man's wife and pass off the pregnancy that he um, had with her as trying to get the uh, husband back from war. I'm kind of rambling on that story there, but you guys know that story, I think. Well, if you don't know it, just to sum up, he sees Bathsheba. He's supposed to be out fighting with his troops, King David is, but he's not. He's in the palace hanging out instead of leading his army. And so he sees uh, this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who's out on top of her rooftop getting a bath in a, you know, some adjacent building. So he's struck with lust for her, and he arranges for her to come to the palace, and then he sleeps with her. And then he's done, but unfortunately she gets pregnant, so her husband is away at, at war, so everybody's going to know that it's not his child. So David tries to cover up by having her husband come back from the battlefield, hoping he'll sleep with her, assuming he would, and that then he could, they could pass off the child as his. So, but Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, is a very um, loyal soldier, and he wants to be with his men and continue leading them. And so when he comes home, he doesn't feel it's right to spend time sleeping with his wife. He doesn't really know he's, why he's called back there, but he doesn't want to sleep with his wife. He doesn't think that's the right thing to do. He should be out in the field with his men. So then David's really in trouble because he can't get Uriah to sleep with his wife and you know, then assume that the baby is his. So he d instead decides to send him back out into the front lines, and he tells the commander there to make sure he's right in the front line to increase the odds that he will be killed. And sure enough, Uriah is killed. And so then David takes Bathsheba back to his palace, and um, she has the baby, and uh, then, you know, David thinks he's gotten away with it, 
but uh, the prophet Nathan confronts him and tells him, you know, that you, you have stolen another man's, he uses a lamb analogy and says, you've stolen another man's lamb, precious lamb, when you have tons of your own. He had lots of, David had wives and concubines. And so David is, is enraged that somebody would take somebody else's one lamb when they have lots of their own. And then Nathan says, well, you're the one who's stolen the lamb. You're the one that's guilty. And so David repents, though. He repents in sackcloth and ashes, and uh, Nathan tells him the baby is going to die, and it does. Um, but he does marry Bathsheba, and then they have a son, another son, Solomon, who becomes a great king. So the thing about David is when he's called on the carpet, when he's confronted with this sin, he doesn't try to hide it anymore. He, he acknowledges it, and he acknowledges that he has sinned before God. And uh, so in Psalm 111, you know, he is, he's written this song, and he ends it up, it's only 10 verses, but he ends it up by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he had a lot of fear in his life because he, when he was anointed as king, he had to hide out from King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, who became jealous of David and wanted to kill him. And so David is, is uh, fleeing for his life constantly, and he's got a little troop of men, and he's trying to, to hide, hide out from Saul. So he doesn't know if he's going to survive or not, although he knows he's supposed to be the next king of Israel, that he was anointed by Samuel. So he knows a lot about fear. And I looked, I Googled it. I didn't actually count how many times fear comes up in the Bible, but you can Google anything, as you know. And fear, the word fear shows up in the Bible 500 times between the Old and New Testament. And fear not shows up 365 times, which I thought was interesting because that's one fear not per calendar year, right? Per day, per calendar year. So every day you could wake up and remind yourself, fear not, right? And then the next day, fear not, fear not. And, and I uh, relate to uh, fear in a sense. Well, that doesn't sound right, but um, as I, I tend to be a fearful person. So growing up, um, I had um, an alcoholic father, and so our, our family life was kind of um, erratic. And, you know, if you have that experience with somebody who has an alcohol problem, you can't really rely on their judgment or their behavior from, any, you know, from one moment to the next because it's always changing because it's, it's, they're not making rational decisions. It's the alcohol that's kind of driving the bus. So um, we were always afraid in our house. Uh, growing up as kids. And it wasn't until I became a Christian at 17 uh, here, we had moved to, uh, from Maryland to Andover, and uh, I was brought to a Bible study in a man named Bill Watson's house in North Andover, that I learned that you can actually know Jesus and you can follow him, and that he will give you uh, his spirit in you, and you will give him your life. You submit your life to him, and he pours his spirit into you, and an exchange is made. And then now your life is not yours anymore. It now belongs to him. And he, will, he has plans for that life that you give him. And he has a future and a hope for you. And that you can know him and that he's real. So I always wanted to know if Jesus was real. And this was the first time I met people who uh, had ex were experiencing him themselves and could say that, yes, he is real and you can know him as he knows you. And actually, I had the privilege uh, last week to go and see Bill Watson. I don't know if any of you know him or not. They were a family in North Andover, he and his wife Sandy, for a long time. And go and thank him. He's in a nursing home now. He's in his late 80s. And uh, I had thanked him before, but I hadn't seen him in a long time, so I was able to go there and see him. 
and just thank him for all that he did to bring me to Christ and the ripple effect that that's had in my life, in my family's life, my siblings, my parents, my children, my grandchildren. So my grandchildren are small, but uh, they really know the song, Jesus Loves Me, and we sing that. And the best thing for me is when we sit at the table and we say grace before dinner, and I look over at Hunter, who's almost three, and we hold hands, and he bows his little head, and he keeps his eyes closed, and then he'll say amen at the end, <laughs> and he'll sing Jesus Loves Me before he goes to bed, and then he always says, yes, Jesus loves me. <laughs> Miles taught him that, actually, put a little emphasis on the yes. So, so this man, Bill Watson, and his wife have um, you know, created a legacy, and I wanted to make sure that he knew that, that he rooted and grounded me in the faith, and that I now can stand before you and say, yes, I've been following Jesus for almost 50 years, so half a century of following Jesus. So you can do the math on that. But, <laughs> but I have more confidence in him, more faith in him, more assurance that he is alive and well because I've experienced it. I've seen him in action. I've, I've experienced the Holy Spirit. And um, one of the things that happened with the Holy Spirit when I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years was, uh, it was a supernatural event. So I was at the mall down in um, the North Shore uh, Mall, and I was walking out of the mall, and up ahead of me there was a man walking ahead of me, you know, a fair distance up. I, you know, we hadn't looked at each other. I was just following behind him, and he hadn't turned back to look at me, and so I'm following him. And then he gets to his car, and he goes, and he opens the door, and then he stops, and I'm just starting to come walk past him, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he says, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, yes, how did you know? And he smiled at me and he said, the Holy Spirit told me. And I'm like, oh, okay. You can imagine how that made me feel. Like, all right. So we just smiled at each other like brother and sister in Christ, see you in heaven maybe one day. And uh, if I can pick you out of the crowd. And, and it was just, but it was a wonderful assurance that, that um, the Holy Spirit was in my life and in me. And, uh, and then I had that, uh, a similar experience to that right here in this church. Um, I was actually talking about this with uh, some friends for dinner um, back in January, and uh, one of the, the, the friends was started talking about how he and I had met here at the church. Now, I remembered that very vividly because something supernatural had happened, but I thought I had told him about it, but apparently I hadn't. So he was talking about how friendly I was, and we were sitting in the same pew, and he was further down, and I made a point of introducing myself to him after the service. And then Kathy Daniel, who was our pastor's wife at the time, she was nearby, so I grabbed her and introduced her to him too. And he thought, wow, what a friendly church. I think I'll come here. So he did, and it came for a number of years. But when we were having that dinner, and he was talking about how friendly I was, I said, well, there was a reason I was friendly. I said, didn't I tell you? And he said, no. I said, well, while I was sitting there worshiping, I heard that still small voice of God say, this man knows me. So I kind of like, what? So I looked over, and I knew who he was talking about, that guy sitting further down the pew that I hadn't talked to or looked at. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So that's why when it was service was over, I thought, I should say hello to that man because apparently he's a brother in Christ. And it turned out he was, and a very good brother and a very a strong brother. So he, was, he didn't know that. I, had, I thought I had told him that, that God you know, had a word about him. So, you know, you experience those kinds of things um, where it's way more than coincidence. You know, it's, it's the Holy Spirit at work. And I remember when um, my dad got sick, 
I was, he was at Mass General. He went into a coma from meningitis. And um, Jeannie knows this story because Jeannie was one of his nurses for a long time, a wonderful nurse and helper in the family. But um, so we were at Mass General and dad was in the ICU and he was in rough shape and we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. And I was sitting in like the family waiting room with the family and all of a sudden I felt this just this compulsion to just get up there and, and just go into dad's room. They could only be in there two at a time and nobody was in there at the moment. So I just knew I had to go into dad's room. I didn't know why. So I walk out in the hallway and guess who's walking by? Jack Daniel, our pastor at the time. And he was coming to visit dad. And now he hadn't told me that. I wasn't expecting him. I didn't know. And I would have missed him. He would have gone in, seen dad and prayed over him and then left because I was in a different room. So when I walked out in the hall, I practically bumped into him. There he was. And so the two of us were able to go in and pray over dad and um, lay hands on him. And, um, you know, it, it was, again, God's grace showing up at the times that you most need it. So, you know, I can relate to, to uh, David when he says that, um, that the goodness of God, his generosity, his kindness, his, his abundance in terms of giving us what we need when we need it, is, is true and real. And I know that, that a lot of you have experienced those same things and have your own stories to tell. But the interesting thing is, is why I, uh, this, this verse kept coming to mind about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is that uh, this is a very fearful time. Uh, we're fearful about war. We're fearful about disease. We're fearful about the economy. We're fearful about relationships. We're fearful about our children, our grandchildren, our spouses. Our, we wonder if we will ever have a spouse, if we're looking for one. There's a lot of uncertainty in our lives, and fear can be overwhelming. And, and you know, the, the more you talk with people, Christian or, or non-Christian, um, they'll talk about that, that the anxiety level in people is so high that they just can't really cope. And fear is just overwhelming us. And, and all the news that we hear, you know, adds to all of that. It's hard to escape it. And now I tend to be fearful anyway, as I said. Um, so I struggle with that because I can start worrying about um, things that I think could happen, might happen, possibly happen, you know, next month, tomorrow, a year from now. I have a very vivid imagination, so I can really go off the rails with my worries and my nervousness. And then I realize in retrospect that half the time the things I worried about never came to pass, not even close. So I can spend a lot of time fretting about what could possibly happen and, and getting myself tied up in knots that way. And that's not what, what um, Jesus wants us to do. And that's why fear not is so often said in the Bible, and particularly any time when God is, is coming to give some kind of news. I mean, the angel said it to Mary, right? Fear not, right? For the Lord is with you. So you, you don't, we don't need to be wrapped up in fear, and he doesn't want us wrapped up in fear. And he's trying to wean us away from that. And we're told that over and over and over because he knows it's a problem for us. And it was interesting, too, you know, if we, as we've been studying Ezekiel, how many times Ezekiel, the prophet, was told not to be afraid as he's going to uh, see these visions and, and, and he's encountering God and God is calling him to do some very hard things and say some very hard things. Um, not easy to be a prophet. But, but Ezekiel is being told not to fear, and we're being told the same thing. Fear not, for I'm with you. And so we need to not be afraid, excuse me, of what 
the possi endless possibilities are for ourselves or our loved ones or our friends about our health or our finances or the future of the country or our children or our grandchildren or our spouses, all the things that will keep us up at night. We don't need to fret about those because God is in our lives and he knows that we're afraid and he's providing ways of escape for us in times of uh, trouble or suffering where we can lean on him and he can give us the fruit of the spirit which is, is love and joy and peace and self-control, patience. And he will give us the things we need to get us through the, the things that we're enduring. And one of the things that, um, that David is saying here is that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the wisdom, of wisdom. So what does that mean? Well, fear of the Lord means reverence and awe of who he is. We have to get our minds around the fact that he is the creator of the universe. And as we were singing these wonderful songs today, there's nothing he can't do. And I love that song, you know, do what you are famous for, that he can close the mouths of lions. He does the impossible. He can make dry bones come to life. He, he uh, you know, brings us through the waters that um, he opened the Red Sea for them. You know, he's constantly providing. And he wants us to look at the bigger picture, not at what's happening around us or what we think could happen around us, but, but the reality is, is that God is in control and he loves us. And Jesus, you know, talked about it too, that we, uh, our hairs on our head are numbered. And, you know, that means more to me as I start losing some hair than it did before. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's Jesus is telling us that God is intimately aware of everything we think and feel and yearn for and dream of. He knows what, where we're going. He knows our goings out, our comings in. He knows our thoughts. And uh, we don't have to hide anything from him. And that was the, the one thing, too, that, that King David really understood, is that you don't hide from God. And we will often, you know, let our fears or our sin keep us away from God. We will hide. But he already knows. And one of the things that I've learned in my 50, almost 50 years with him, is that, I don't know why I keep saying almost 50, but anyway, <laughs> it's, it seems like a big number. But is that... Um, Whatever you're feeling, whatever you need, rather than hiding from God because of your sin, go to him like a little child would go to a father and, and confess and tell him where you've gone wrong, what you've said or done or thought that you know is not pleasing to him, that's hurt maybe you or someone else. And let him clean you up. That's what his desire is, is to wash us clean and make us right again before, us, before him and then send us out on the path and start again. You know, when, when Jesus was asked, how many times should I forgive my, my neighbor? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Well, he didn't literally mean only 490 times. That's the right math, right? Yeah, to look at the teachers. Um, but um, he means you keep forgiving as long as it's necessary because that is what God is doing with us. He will forgive us as long as it's necessary. And so we, we need to go and, and take advantage of that and not hide out because sin will always separate us from God. It will separate us from people, but primarily it separates us from God and leaves us out uh, of his uh, fellowship. And he doesn't want that. But we need to come and tell him, you know, what, what we're doing or thinking that's wrong, and he will make it right. And then, you know, um, what is wisdom? And how do you get it? Well, wisdom is understanding, and, and it's not 
knowledge per se, because everybody can have a lot of knowledge about things, but if you don't know how to apply your knowledge to the circumstances around you, if you don't know how, if you don't have understanding or insight, uh, then that's not really going to help you to have a lot of facts in your head or a lot of knowledge or be great at trivia. You know, you need to be able to apply what you know and understand about human nature, about yourself, about God, to any situation that you're in. And that wisdom is uh, applying, uh, you know, knowledge so that you have understanding, and it's also, it's discerning good from evil. And that is really important, too, as Christians, as God's children. We need to have discernment and know what is good and what is evil, because the enemy will lie to us. He's the father of all lies. And he's very deceptive, and he will, you know, that's how he got to Adam and Eve, right? He just, he made them doubt whether they'd really understood God, and they made him, he made him doubt God's character, that maybe he's just holding out on you. You know, eat, eat the tree of knowledge, from the tree of knowledge. He, he doesn't, he just, he's holding back. And now, if they'd really thought about it, they might have thought, well, no, he's been pretty good so far. Why would he hold back on something so important? So we should probably obey him. But they didn't, and that started the whole mess that we all now cope with on this earth. And we're the same way. But God has a plan. I mean, his plan is redemption, and we already have seen that through Jesus coming here to redeem us through his death and his resurrection. And it's important, too, to remember that we're created for eternity. We're not created for here and now. And, you know, that's sometimes hard to imagine. You know, I, I know some people sometimes think, well, I don't know if I'm going to like heaven. It sounds kind of boring, you know, um, if you're a gardener, you kind of wonder, am I going to get to do any gardening there? You know, if you like art, paint pictures, what's, what's heaven like? It sounds kind of dull because a lot of what we learn about heaven uh, is that we're going to be standing before God and worshiping him. And uh, that that is going to be, you know, something that we'll be doing uh, together and it's going to be wonderful. And I'm starting to get a better understanding of that too because just as we were worshiping here with the lovely music, worshiping God, there is uh, such a feeling of joy that will come into your heart as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and your heart to the words that you're singing and you start thinking about who God is and how much he loves us and how wonderful he is. And this is the creator of the universe. We are so fortunate that he is who he is because he could be anything. But he who created the whole universe and set the stars and the, and the moon and the sun in place and created this earth and, and uh, created us and all the creatures on it, he's, a, he's love. He's a loving God, so we're safe in his hands. And he hasn't created us for here. He's created us for eternity, forever to be with him in a place where there's no more tears, there's no more death. That is, it's, that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And, you know, COVID has been hard. Uh, we had a dear friend um, who died a few weeks ago from COVID who was a friend of ours for years and years, he and his wife. And I have struggled with that because he's a Christian, and um, if I look at it from this side of, of the whole thing, if I look at this side of the, of the grave, then it's just, you know, it's just an aching loss for, for us, for his family, for his friends, that he's not here and that he was taken by a disease that, you know, you feel like, oh, golly, that shouldn't have happened. But then as I, if I look on the other side of it, then I look towards eternity that I think, well, I know where Ted is. I know he's with the Lord. I know he's, he's, he's begun, uh, he's, he's, he's rooted in eternity. He's not going anywhere else. The grave hasn't held him. Death hasn't held him. That he is free of both of those things, and he's with the Lord. 
and that we can't even imagine what that is really like to be with the Lord. And Jesus, you know, told us that he was going to prepare a place for us so that where, you know, he is, excuse me, that um, we will be also, and that if it was not so, he would have told us. So when I look at eternity from that side of of the spectrum, that that's where Ted is, and that Ted would probably not want to come back here to earth, much as he loved his family and his friends, because of what he is experiencing now in heaven, then I have a peace about it, and I realize I have to keep my eyes not on the here and now, not on this side of the coin, but the other side where we are finally you know, in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And he knows us, and then we're going to know and see him fully, even as we're already fully known by him. So this is the good news of the Bible, and this is the good news of uh, King David. And it's interesting, too, that his son Solomon, who was his second son from Bathsheba, he repeats the same thing, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. He says it a number of times. Solomon wrote Proverbs. And you can just, you can just kind of imagine that he sat next to his father as a young boy and growing up as to be a man, and his father explaining that to him, David telling him that, that the only thing you have to fear in life is not who can take your body, but the one who guards and protects your soul because the soul is our etern- eternal part of us, and we'll have a new body when we need it. But, but the essence of who we are, our souls, our spirits, our hearts, are going to be you know, with Jesus. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to um, let fear capture us so that we lose our joy and lose our peace and become anxious, because he's not asking that of us. He wants us to know that he is with us and he has prepared a place for us. So I just wanted to leave that with you, and um, just I'll close this in prayer here. Lord, um, just I ask that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, that each woman here would feel your presence and your love for them, that whatever their fears or cares are, Lord, that they'd be able to present them to you, trust them in your hands and know that you are the giver of good gifts that you open your hands and give good gifts to your children Lord if there's anyone who's not sure about you yet I pray they would say yes to you and step forward and see what happens and see what you do Lord we know that um, if we draw near to you you'll draw near to us Lord and that not only do you draw near to us but you are pursuing us you're seeking us you're yearning for us And I thank you, too, that you've made each of these women here, Lord, for a purpose, and you have a plan for them and a future for them and a hope. They're designed specifically by you for for their lives, and that you you, you have worked in them, and you're going to continue to work in them, and that you're bringing us all to perfection in you, Lord, and that you're bringing us all forward into eternity to be with you forever. So we just thank you for that promise and that hope. We thank you that you make yourself known. We thank you that we can trust you and that you are a good, good God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.